Hey, Alex, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, very good. All righty. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Oh, wait. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihi al-kareem. Amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sorry for the delay. I'm having technical difficulties here, which are not completely resolved, but hopefully they'll be resolved in like two seconds here. And class, class. Okay, that is fixed. And all right, I think we are now able to cook with gas. Or not. Okay. All righty. So the goal for today is our next ayah about Allah Ta'ala. And we're going to go with the classics. We're going with Ayat al-Kursi. Ta-da! Surprise, surprise. Everyone is completely awestruck that we're doing Ayat al-Kursi. Okay, let me pull it up here. And... <clears throat> So, Surah 2, Ayah 225, called the throne verse, the verse of the throne, Ayat al-Kursi, which many of you, most of you, probably have memorized, probably recite on a daily basis. I've not focused as much on the virtues of these various ayahs that we've been covering, because um, that information is readily available. But the bare minimum, I would suggest, is that after each of your fard, your mandatory prayers, to recite. Aital Kursi on a regular basis as a protection. Meaning, <clears throat> when we are to be hit with struggle, the struggles are often scheduled in advance. The intensity of the struggle, however, is negotiable. So, one of the ways to mitigate or to minimize struggles is by way of charity. Another way is by recitation of this ayah after each of the daily prayers. And there are literally books upon about the virtues of Ayat al-Kursi. The companion of the Prophet, Abdullah ibn al-Abbas, speaks of this verse as the pinnacle of the entire Quran. This is the goat as far as ayahs go. Yeah, probably not the best term, but the point has been made. Yeah. And so, so this is the centerpiece about which the entire Quran speaks. Yeah. Now, a question to think about, if this ayah is so central, why is it seen to appear in such an inconspicuous location? If it is so central, seems like it should be at the beginning or at the end. So, for example, the ayahs at the end of Surah 2 are also very, very significant and profound. But here, it's just in this place. This is a point we'll get to. Or get to explore, inshallah. But Allahu la ilaha illahu al hayyul qayyum. So Allah, there is no God but Him, al hayy, and commonly translated as the alive, al qayyum, the subsisting. La ta'khuduhu sinatun wa la naum. And so, as you know, that He does not, uh, He is not taken by. Uh, 
sleep or slumber. For him is all that's in the skies of the earth, and so forth and so on. So looking at the construction of this ayah, which has essentially been our focus with each of these passages, trying to derive meaning by way of the way the eyes are constructed. Allah, there is no God but him. I mean, that seems like if we're going to have a passage about God, that would be how we'd begin. Yeah, I think that works. What does it mean that Allah is al-hayy, that he is alive? Because al-qayyum works subsisting. Yeah. What does it mean that God is alive? How do you understand that? Thoughts, reflections. Shahla. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Shala. Like the word shallow. Like shallow, shala. And you can add an H in there too if you like. Shallow. Shallow. No, no, no. Like the A is like shallow. It's okay. Oh. Shahla. All right. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Um, so I kind of think of this as like, um, I think there's like deists, right? And theists or the deists are the one that believe that there was like a watchmaker type of God that basically like wound up the clock or created the earth and then is not really interacting with us um, mm -hmm. anymore. And so I think that this kind of speaks against that idea of God and mm -hmm. that he's like, he's always, he continues to be present. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very nice. So, uh, so, uh, yeah, it is extension to the same point that uh, basically our minds and ourselves are like uh, conditioned to certain things. And one of those things are, are we are time-based, right? Because of the nature of our design um, uh, and the universe. So we have to have... Uh, uh, so in, in, into that into that context, we have to have what uh, you, you, you cut off yourself in a sentence. We have to have. We have to have like uh, in in terms of uh, understanding uh, of a creator. Uh, so it gives it gives you some sort of basics. Okay, so um, like being a human being, you are like conditioned to sleep and this and that. So, uh, but this is something Allah Taala is something beyond that. Okay. Uh, it, it is beyond those conditioning. Like this is something very basic, right? So this, this beyond those conditioning of like life, like because we, we are not, nobody in the universe lives forever. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the conditions that he's beyond that. Uh, we are, we cannot like um, keep ourselves awake forever. So this is one of those conditionings that he's beyond that. Um, so, uh, so, so it gives us uh, some sort of a, uh, sense to understand that okay what sort of uh, uh uh what what is Allah okay. as a creator all right ahant doctor ahant um just a reflection on what uh you know shahla said um i think uh, she was describing i think called mechanistic causation like okay. the watchmaker theory, right? What do I say about the people with the big words? No, no, no that's, that's, that's not. No. Okay, I um, I, I think you know, um, on top of that, I think Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's like you know intervention in every like moment mm -hmm. is emphasized here. I think that's really, mm -hmm. really good to note. But um, 
I guess my, you know, follow-up question to you is, you know, you had talked about the effect, you know, of the Quran rather than us like trying to like make some uh, sort of, they're trying to, you know, reason the point. You know, I think recitation like of this verse is, you know, sort of the same thing. You know, there's an effect that we can't describe. That's why it's so... Fair enough. Uh, Dr. Marwa says, I would interpret Al-Hay similar to the other names of Allah, not just the living, but the all-encompassing source of life, giver of life, sustainer of life as he wills. I think that works, although that would be more muhi, but yes, Al-Hay also works for that. Uh, Asim. Um, I think also this, like, the you know, the thing, I think you've said it twice in this class where, like, the the sort of names and attributes of Allah are also like the highest form of whatever that attribute is. And so I think, um, and then the rest of this ayah kind of goes to the other idea that you, you've brought up, I think once, which is the, the idea of uh, he's not bound by any of this and he's not bound by the fact that he's not bound by any of this. Um, I think, so I think that's that all plays into what what it means to be al hay. Okay, so I feel like you've described everything except the al hay itself. You might be right, and maybe it's because I don't get it. Okay, fair enough. There, you've hurt and embarrassed me. Are you happy? Um, I think uh, Dr. Ahad will agree that you're not the only one. But okay, very good. So, any other thoughts, reflections on what does it mean that Allah is al hay? What if we do it by its opposite? What does it mean to speak of Allah as dead? So Nietzsche says God is dead. What does he mean by that? I think that means we as a human, we all figure it out. We don't need any supernatural or any external mm-hmm. mm-hmm. entity. So there, one aspect could be that uh, a point that I that I suggested earlier. Yes, uh, exactly as Nader is saying that uh, very often we speak of Allah as present and yet inactive, right? And then, as Asim is saying, it means He's no longer relevant to our daily lives. And if we are speaking of Allah as Al Hayy, then I'm suggesting for your consideration an element of unending relevance and of course me alive in relationship to allah being alive the tendency would be to say that okay well i'm nothing compared to allah then what i am in terms of being alive is nothing compared to whatever it means that allah is alive uh let's see sarah abuji says could we mean we're in a post-religious era uh, may i ask you to explain that point uh further because that can go in a whole bunch of different ways uh yeah i think some people would argue that since we're past the the era of prophets and miracles and you know god and intervening in our lives then we're past all of this and you know no new religions are being created uh or like major world religions so mm-hmm. you know god is kind of inactive mm-hmm. uh so the point about god being dead yeah uh, uh very much so the fascinating thing is, what was one of the criticisms given at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that these are all tales of the people of the past? Uh, perhaps the same sentiment, although uh, in the modern and postmodern era, it's fair to say that religion is more or less 
relegated to the realm of hobby for a whole lot of people who might think that they're burning with religious passion. But if you look at how they spend their day, it is more of a hobby than actually a vocation. Cupcakes. Assalamu alaikum. Um, I'm, this is more just kind of a reflection, but I'm always so struck, subhanAllah, at the, the verbiage that's used, even the way, like, al-hay, we don't say al-hay, when you say someone's, like, alive, they're hay, that's it, mm-hmm. but not al, so it's just, it's like, there's, like, the, a depth to it, and that it's kind of going over my head, honestly, mm-hmm. but, but it's really special. Mm-hmm. That if anyone is alive, it is Allah. And then this is in a lot of the spiritual type talk that many of us might actually be physically having heartbeats and walking around and such, and yet are still dead. So if we connect al-hay to al-khabir, we all aware, what does that combination give us? And it'll eventually appear on my screen. There it is. Any thoughts? Active omnipotence. Yeah. Active knowledge. Uh, Iqbal Sabi, you were saying something. Okay. What if we add Al-Hay to Al-Jabbar? The one whose will cannot be stopped. I don't see your screen. Oh, snap. I didn't even share it. Oh, by the way, uh, I've been asking people to give me a phrase other than, oh, snap. So if anyone comes with anything, by all means, let me know. Can you see the, the screen now? No. So we did al-hay plus al-khabir. What about al-hay? Plus Al-Jabbar, Al-Jabbar meaning the one whose will cannot be stopped. Does it make the Al-Jabbar seem stronger? No. Someone just didn't know where does voice come from? Uh, yeah. uh, what do you what do you how do you understand al hayt plus al jabbar so my essential thing is the al hay part is always default here okay it's it's one of the you can say if he's alive he's living mm-hmm. so hence everything else so whether we put it there or not it doesn't make the you know, the sentence even more weighty or interesting. Okay. I think. All right. What if we add uh plus I'm telling you about this al hay plus muhi. So he is alive and he's the one who who gives life. Same thing? Dr. Ahant. Uh, my better half says that's more powerful. If you okay. use that combination. Okay, okay. Mashallah. Mashallah to the better half. Okay. What about our previous go-to? 
الحي بلس الرحمن anything Asim. Um, I think both uh, Al-Muhi and Al-Rahman have a similar meaning um, because I think giving life is a type is a type of mercy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in a sense. And so I think they both, they both sort of conjure up uh, ideas of mother. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay. Samia. So I'm always nervous to talk because I never actually know if I'm saying things I mean, right. It has to stop other people, so so well. <laughs> um, so for me, where it's like we're talking at Al Hay as being like, so he's living, he's always relevant. But the Ar Rahman, like, I think it makes it slightly less intimidating of a concept because it's like he's always there, he's always relevant, but he's okay. always like got that merciful aspect of it. So like you can think of him in every aspect of your life because. You're also remembering like he is a Rahman. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just like sure. makes me think about him differently. Mashallah. <laughs> and looking at some of the notes, uh Jewel saying Jabbar, he's always putting us back together. Very interesting, mashallah. Shahla, I think there's even one uh, that is more meaningful. If you can explain that point, I'm not understanding. Uh, Anna, I think the fact that Allah is the most alive and he is the one who gives life means that he is the true meaning and purpose behind life. Very, very interesting, mashallah. Nadir, I feel like adding a hay makes the attribute more applicable to me in my particular moment, situation, and moment. I don't know if you're speaking about this place you are in life or you're just saying more applicable to, to me in the general sense. And Asma al hay creates an active Jabbar, an active Rahman. Okay, that makes all these things more active. Sure. Okay. So here we have Al-Hay plus Al-Qayyum. I think these two very easily go together, but how do we understand this pairing of names or attributes? So Allahu la ilaha illah huwa al-hayyul qayyum or illah huwa al-hayyul qayyum. Doesn't self-subsisting, doesn't al-qayyum seem to imply al-hayy? Or how they relate to each other? Stephanie. Um, well, in some translations, it says the sustain sustainer. Mm. Um, and so my understanding uh, would be that it's not only is he alive, but he is actively engaged in our creation uh, ongoing to maintain it, sustain it, mm -hmm. keep it going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it works very much. So, one of our struggles, I think, uh, in trying to dive into these attributes and the relationships is that we are so, this is so consistent with how we imagine Allah anyway. If, however, we put this in the context of Mecca and Medina at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, then how does this play out? So God, he is one God. There is no God but him. Al-Hayy, in contrast to your idols, 
Al-Qayyum in contrast to these stones that you're worshiping. And so then the, the difference becomes much more significant. For us, it's almost easy to take these attributes for granted. Yeah, this is Allah. What, what else is there to say? Uh, let's go to the next part. That slumber does not overtake him, nor does sleep. And again, this is still commonly how we think of Allah, but Yaqbal. Uh, Okay, uh, I was just wondering here. We don't see a vow in between. Mm-hmm. In in some of the sometimes when we see uh, different attributes, multiple attributes combined together, there's a vow in between. Mm-hmm. So I could say mm-hmm. right? Uh, so what is the? I mean, why we don't have why in this case, for example, but in the other cases. Mm-hmm. So this becomes potentially a subtle difference in the Arabic that might be so subtle that it's not relevant. But essentially the ataf, the, uh, 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 this process of having a wow, which is sort of like having the word and. So al-hay al-qayyum, think of that as one. Not that he is living and he is self-subsisting, he is living self-assisting. How would you distinguish between the two? I think it's so subtle that it's almost hard to even, for me to try to explain the difference. Because I, uh, I don't have the vocabulary to explain the difference here. I mean, I mean sometimes I'm kind of a smart guy, but I don't have the words here for this one. Good so, one, uh, Asin. Um, do do we is there like sort of scholarly consensus on why both sleep and slumber appear here? So what seems to be the case over and over again is in contrast to the gods of the time. But if we're saying that Allah is alive but does not sleep, what else are we saying? He is alive, does not need nourishment to sustain his life right and then if he does not sleep he is never not in control and he is never drowsy so straightforward in that aspect i mean i'm sure there's some really profound philosophical analyses probably in razi's the tafsir that i haven't looked up but in some ways this ayah because it is so common in in our Islamic imagination and practice, this is almost the most difficult to, uh, uh, to pull more from because it's so much part of our, our, our Islam. Ahant. Um, so, you know, um, on the point of living self-sustaining and living and self-sustaining, you know, you know. I think when I hear the like difference between that, is is if you say living and self-sustaining, it's almost as if the one who is alive is relying on something else to sustain himself. Yes, hundred percent. Whereas if you combine the two, they're like uh, they're they're one and the same. And of course, 
Allah is the only one that fits mm-hmm. those attributes. I think that's pretty deep, mashallah. So, so you didn't have to use big words for that. <laughs> teasing, teasing, teasing. Uh, I'd say everyone take a look at uh, Stephanie's point. Uh, very often when we see la, it's not just a negation of what's being stated, but it's a negation of how others are perceiving things. So he needs no rest. There is no seventh day of rest here. And then now they're saying, you saying this, that makes me feel like the first part makes the inanimate gods invalid, and the second part makes the animate gods invalid. I think that's also pretty deep too, mashallah. Very good. Mahmoud. I'm sorry, I wasn't mute. Uh, wouldn't knowing the, the reason why this ayah was sent down would help us to understand the conjunction between the different words? Sure, tell us. Ending. No, no, I'm not, I don't know, but um, <laughs> my my like my my limited knowledge about this, I, I just was sent before even us as a human being. Uh, I I believe it's between jinn. That's why we read it all the time to protect us from jinn before we go sleep. So, wouldn't that be kind of like a way of God speaking to this kind of like nation that more stronger than us? Maybe they think themselves like they're more powerful than God. Stuff mm. So maybe that's why this this. Uh, order of, of, of the words make sense uh, from this aspect, you know. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that narrative as a story behind the revelation, but I'd have to go look it up. But yeah, inshallah, um, what you're saying makes sense. Uh, Khurram. Uh, so sleep and slumber is, is uh, I will relate that uh, to the same al uh, al Qayyum in a, in, a, in a way that the context I would bring behind is the perpetual uh, mechanism perpetual mechanism means like he's continuously involved in creativity okay. he's continuously creating something yeah. and and we and and there is no limit to that we so it me it implies that he will always be creating like mm-hmm. means like some scholars say they okay they we, would, we would infer that he's always creating we will we'll infer yes yeah. Yeah. Uh, because some scholars say eventually all the creation may like uh, like uh, after very eons and eons there will be no creation but we have a reference in hadith like uh, one of the one of the people of delegation came to prophet and he asked prophet like how it began everything so so prophet said that before uh, before samawat and this samawat and uh, the throne of the prophet was on the water mm-hmm. right so that's that's another reference that that water may be a same sort of some creation that we have right now in, in, in forms of heavens and uh, and like some amount of earth. Mm-hmm. So it's, we can infer from that too. So it means that he was always from, from our point of view engaged in perpetual creati- creativity and he will continue to create something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Stephanie. So what you said about um, does not need nourishment and never not in control um, really stirred me to think about um, Greek and Roman gods, how they're often described in, uh, especially in popular, um, you know, films and things. I don't remember, you know, studying very closely, but what I do remember is these recurrent themes of, you know, this such and such God got drunk and, you know, while they were sleeping or something, something happens or they lost control and, XYZ happened. And so um, uh, what you said made me think about that, how this is like, he's, 
he's never not in control in that way. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really, really good example. When you look at the Greek gods, they seem to be exaggerated humans, as opposed to even superhumans, exaggerated humans, because even their foibles are exaggerated versions of human foibles and such, right? So, okay, let us continue further. So for him is all the heavens and the earth. Again, I think for us, the way we perceive of Allah, that's still consistent. This is something that's repeated very, very frequently in in, uh, the Quran, um, that he is owning everything. But how would we possibly read for him? What is the difference between he is the owner of all, but all is for him? Uh, Were you raising your hand up? Yes, I was going to say, I think that like, it can show that like a lot of times like humans tend to take a lot of arrogance and think that things are like centered around themselves. And like a lot of times we take like credit for the things that we do when like a lot of like everything is through a lot. And so it's kind of like a reminder to like ground yourself and remember that like everything you do and everything that is in creation is for the purpose of Allah and Mm. for Allah's sake. Mm -hmm. That everything is in worship of Allah. Everything is in complete surrender to Allah. So on the one hand, he is the owner of all, including each of us, including each of our souls, including each of our bodies, including each of our thoughts. But all is in service to him. Uh, Iqbal, you were saying something? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking along the same line, always basically relying on him and all this worshiping him okay Okay, so that's what we've read so far now who is it that can intercede with him except with his permission so so this is first, we should look at this in the contrast to other ayahs of the Quran. If you go to earlier in Surah Al-Baqarah, let me see if I can pull it up really easily without calling, causing any technological problems. So here's where we are. And then if I copy, yeah, let's just put it right here. Let's see if I go to the right ayahs, 46 through 47, I believe. Okay. No, 47 to 48. Let's just do this. Uh Okay, so earlier in the Surah, O children of Israel, remember the blessings I've conferred upon you and that I give you excellence over all the worlds. Guard yourselves against a day in which no one shall stand for anyone in anything, nor shall intercession be accepted on anyone's behalf. So we have one ayah that is saying no intercession. And then this ayah is saying, who can intercede with him except by his permission? What are ways in which we can put these two ayahs together without it being a contradiction? There's a couple of ways we can do this. What would be one? 
is this is a, a, a simple lesson in how commentary works. Anna. I think like one could argue that like intercession is being used in different ways in those two ayahs. Like in one case, like intercession is is meant to be like someone that comes in the way of Allah's will. Okay. And then in the other ayah, it's more about like who can speak to Allah on behalf of the people, yeah. if that makes sense. All right. Okay, then let's take a step back. What is intercession? I mean, uh, it doesn't have to be on a, anyone. So intercession is what? That on the day of judgment, that someone or something has been given the authority by Allah to stand in for you, for you to go to paradise. And so the big one is that, inshallah, the prophet, peace be upon him, is granted the role of intercession on behalf of his entire ummah. So you find some Sufis especially focus on this. You know, one song, Sweet Medina. Look up Sweet Medina and listen to this. Sweet Medina, Sweet Medina, Sweet Medina, Wedi Lauli. Okay, so look for that. I had to sing it for you so you know that you're listening to the exact song. Because they have a whole line about the prophet, peace upon him, giving all of us intercession. And then we are taught many things in the Hadith literature of ways to get intercession. That if you recite the Quran on a regular basis, it will intercede for you. If you recite these particular surahs, they will act as intercession for you. If you are a shaheed, you will have perhaps the ability to be an intercessor, intercessor for others on the day of judgment. And perhaps even if you are a hafiz, you can intercede for X number of people. Uh, Anna, did you raise your hand again? Yeah. I wanted to um, amend my statement. If we are going to um, just look at intercession as just like one definition, then I think you could say that Allah is following up on the previous ayah. Like it's like, initially he said there's no intercession. And then he's like, of course, like, unless it is by Mm -hmm. his own permission. Mm -hmm. So, so there's a couple of principles in the interpretation of the Quran. When you have passages that may fit with each other or may seemingly contradict. These don't technically contradict, but this ayah says no intercession. This ayah says no intercession except as Allah allows, sort of. So we could put those both together and interpret to mean there's no intercession. Anyway, but a general principle in the interpretation of the Quran is that every ayah potentially has blank lines in the ayahs. And those blank lines, we call this ellipses, might be filled by other passages in the Quran. So it's such that you have to be very cautious about just quoting an ayah and then you're done. And you have to be especially cautious about quoting a hadith and then you're done because you want to find everything else that is on the same topic, same universe to be able to figure out is this ayah of the words on their own, the complete picture or not. That's one principle. So this ayah can be no intercession shall be accepted except as Allah's wills. But why does it not say here? Because the overall thrust of this ayah is that the children of Israel 
in this worldly life, we're given everything without earning it. Good. But in the next life, they're going to be given nothing except that they what they earn. When you put it in the greater context, that's the message there. So one principle is, are there blank spaces that you fill in with other parts of the Quran, potentially with other teachings of the Prophet, peace be upon him? The second is when you have two passages, you look for the most merciful reading. So one reading, putting these both together, is that there's no intercession. Even if Allah could give, would give permission, he's not giving permission. Another is, yeah, Allah Ta'ala absolutely gives permission for intercession. It's just that the ayah we have in front of us is making a different point here, that you have to earn, you can't rely upon Allah's uh, fadl, his grace, in your afterlife. That cannot be your basis of reliance, even though that might be what you get. Danya, oh, just so you all know why I call her cupcakes, because back in the day when we had Quran classes with her Northwestern buddies, she used to bring cupcakes, and thus she earned the name cupcakes. Yes, cupcakes. Um, is it wrong to... Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I kind of read these ayahs in different contexts, and I don't know if that's maybe a wrong approach to how I'm interacting with the Quran, but the, the first one I read more of like, it's like storytelling. So I'm supposed to be taking um, some guidance, learning from past people, but also... Um, it's, it's a story. I'm, I'm reading a story versus um, Ayatul Kursi. I read, as you know, you, you said it's earlier, for, for protection, of course. <laughs> I, I read for protection daily and I, and I feel it's um, when I recite this ayah, it's each part of it makes me feel more protected in the description that it's adding. So I feel like it's a just, it's a different context that yeah. I'm placing. That is effectively the point I'm making. You spit, you uh, expressed it better, you know, mashallah, that uh, the idea here is when Allah is speaking to the Bani Yisrael, he's speaking to the Bani Yisrael, whereas here he's speaking to everybody. And, and so there are assumptions that we can derive from text uh, um, in his conversation with the Bani Israel versus the Universal. Yeah, exact point. Uh, Iqbal, then Samia, then Asim, and Shadda. So I just want to have your elaboration on the point that you make that they earn everything, uh, got everything without earning. So that is yeah. pre Islam or is true for all over the time? So this is specifically the uh, era of the people of Moses, peace be upon him, Bani Israel, that they're given everything, including, you know, manna and salwa. They're given food without having to put in the effort, right? They're given shade without having to do anything. They're given literally every single uh, luxury of the world. In some narrations, they even had clothing that would never um, uh, wear out and would grow with you. And so literally everything. But then post-Islam still applies or that is now? So that was only that generation. And so, so when, when Allah is speaking to and about Bani Israel and throughout the whole first half of Al-Baqarah, it's basically it, to the contemporary Muslim, meaning Muhammad's time, peace be upon him and beyond. It's as though Allah Ta'ala is saying to us, look at this generation, look at everything I gave to them. 
and look at how they responded with lack of gratitude. Now look at you, look at what I'm giving you and how are you going to respond? So like Dr. Asfara calls this Surah Ummatain, the Surah of the two Ummas. Make sense? Yep, welcome. Very good. Samia. Um, so my question was when you were mentioning something about like choosing the most merciful reading, if you have two that talk about the same thing, like could you elaborate on sure. what you meant by that? So here it says who uh, you can see my screen still, right? With the eyes on it. It says who is it that can intercede with him except by his permission? But it doesn't actually say he's giving permission. It's basically asking, you know, who can possibly intercede without getting his permission. But then if we look at this ayah, if we remove context, it says, no intercession shall be accepted on anyone's behalf. So the less merciful reading would be there's no possibility of intercession. Which you will find a lot of non-scholars going with that opinion. Because here's what the ayah says, right? But the argument people are making is the only way you can get into paradise is only by earning it. But what I'm saying, the more merciful reading is they're being told no intercession shall be accepted in, the con in contrast to how the life that they were given, this specific generation, the life they were given was one of luxury without any effort. And here... Who is it that can intercede with him except by his permission? Yes, he will give permission. Doesn't mean he's going to give permission to everyone. So I'm saying the less merciful reading is no intercession will be given. The more merciful reading is intercession will be given. So if you were to like, when you say like, choose between the two, if you have to, are we supposed to look at like, okay, the more merciful thing or like just take both at, you know, the same Level. So we lean towards the more merciful reading, especially thinking back to the first eye of the whole whole class, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, as the default of everything. So I'm saying as a principle of tafsir, historically, is you're looking for the most merciful reading of all these different passages. Make sense? So you don't see it uh, as much in a lot of modern readings. A lot of modern readings tend to try to make everything black and white. And they tend to be very, very unimaginative in the possibilities of God's mercy. Awesome. Um, I just wanted to mention that there are some good questions in the chat. Oh, snap. That I'd like to hear answers to. Okay. And then while I'm going to there, Shafa, you had your hand raised. Yeah. So this relates to my questions in the chat as well. Um, so, you know, the first ayah, it says, you know, guard against... Mm day you know that's speaking about like judgment day right mm -hmm. so this seems more general right um and like you said it's directed to everybody but also to all times mm -hmm. and so like in our daily i don't think this is intended to well i don't know right Allah knows best but it doesn't there's no other indication that this is speaking about judgment day right mm -hmm. and so intercession is like you know if i say oh please grant so-and-so relief from the pain that they're suffering mm. right is that a type of intercession and maybe my prayer will be heard for that person and so in a sense am i interceding for that particular person if somebody prays for someone else mm -hmm. um so regarding the first point yeah it does uh the the passage does not seem to indicate a limitation that it is the day of judgment um and then thus 
how would we define intercession? So one way is to think about these are all different possibilities where a person or something else can stand in for someone. So one is someone can stand in completely. Another is someone can speak on your behalf. Another is you can buy your way out and change things. Another is to be given support. So the example that you're giving, I think, is exactly either intercession or support. But I think you're, you're, you're reading that it could be a type of intercession also works very well here. Yeah. All knows best, but it seems to work. And then Stephanie is saying we should all live as if there is no intercession, not live recklessly and rely on someone's intercession. So what I would suggest, uh, I would agree with the second half, meaning not uh, take intercession as a guarantee. But we're being told it's an intercession, so it's still something we should have hope for. You know, another way to think about this is should I be judged uh, on the day of judgment according to what I've done? Or would I prefer the intercession of the prophet, peace be upon him? Yeah, I'm probably going to go with the intercession of the prophet, peace be upon him. Too. And I'm speaking as someone who professionally I do Islam in, in addition to confessionally. I'm going to go with the, uh, you know, what can be hoped for with the intercession of the prophet. But the latter part, yeah, I agree with your principle. Anna. I was going to ask that, like, when we were talking about the different interpretations and, like, choosing the more merciful one and i apologize in advance because i don't have the knowledge behind like where and neither do i just make all the stuff we up. learned <laughs> about like the prophet like interceding for his ummah. like so i don't know exactly where it's spoken about that but like since we know that that's going to happen can we not automatically assume that more merciful interpretation mm -hmm. so that what happens is that uh, um, in my anecdotal experience is that people who go for what seems to be the more strict or consistent interpretation will then say the hadith are wrong, even if they're authenticated. Yeah. So, so the vast majority of discussion or information of who can intercede for what is in the hadith literature, not that much, at least overtly in the Quran. And so the same people are saying this ayah on the screen says no intercession means no intercession and that all those hadith are completely unreliable. Khuram. So yeah, uh, it's the same extension to the same point uh, of uh, mercy. Actually, there is a very uh, elaborated hadith that uh, uh, Prophet, uh, Prophet Peace Prophet said that uh, to companions that every uh, prophet has been given something unique Mm. And uh, and a unique gift or unique something in this world, but I have kept kept for me. I, I have I haven't used that credit. You can say I have kept it for hereafter mm -hmm. uh, or for the day of judgment. And that is for for the basically prayer mm -hmm. or for the intercession for men. Yes, yes, Iqbal, your hand is up. I don't know if it's up from before or now. Okay. All righty. So we are going to stop right here. And then the latter part really gets into creation. Uh, oh, Sarah, Fadullah, Dr. Sarah. The, uh, we can stop. I was just going to say, I feel like almost um, 
a lot of like the points we were making, it almost seems like if you are to believe in the more um, or in the less merciful routes, um, it's like, you know, you get, I don't know, this is how my, my mind works, I suppose, with like the dean. If you, if you believe in, um, uh, if you believe in. My niece like, was in Northwestern, more... so I praise Northwestern. So keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you believe in the less merciful routes, it's like, okay, gold star, that's fine. Inshallah, your belief is going to be accepted. But like, if you believe in the more merciful interpretation, plus you believe that, you know, I don't know, like you have like optimism. It almost feels like you're doing extra credit and like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just better. So you should just kind of like believe and lean towards like hopefulness. Yes. I don't know. That's just how I'm viewing it. Cause there are like, there's like a lot of dichotomy push and pull of like, it could be harsher, but it also could not be. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just easier to lean into that. And I feel like our faith tells us to do that. Uh, to all the old people in the room, you saw a bunch of people snapping. This is what these young people do to express admiration. You know, this is what we used to do to get the waiter to come to us. But in any case, so the uh, the, the basic point here is, yeah, this is why we began with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, saying that's the flashlight, that the flashlight is to read everything through the Rahmah of Allah, as opposed to the Qadr of Allah, which is basically destiny or through other aspects that the default seems to be one of rahma and so you seek the rahma in in every possible reading you seek the mercy in every possible reading and this is also a principle in islamic law that if you have four options that are all legit options the correct answer is the one that has that is the easiest answer in the context of of fasting in the month of Ramadan, where Allah is telling us, okay, if you're traveling, you know, fast later, if you're sick, don't fast, so forth and so on. Then he's saying, Allah wishes for you ease, not hardship. And so this is a thing throughout, from start to finish, how our whole tradition operates. But we're also saying, thus by extension, this is how reality operates. We are not getting brownie points for giving ourselves unnecessary struggle. Excellent. So we will continue, inshallah, with the second half of Al-Baqarah, as we will also complete the first full week of fasting, inshallah. Ready? Flies by. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah. Wabihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu la ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness. And we turn to you. May Allah tell reward you all. And we will see you inshallah tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.